0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 pm on Sunday, the 8th of January, 2023, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is well being in education. Happy New Year! Good afternoon, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 26th radio show as a hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first I have to introduce myself for any potentially new listener. I'm a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the United Kingdom since 2008, and I'm a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach languages as well as humanities, history and geography. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at prof All views are my own. Today I want to focus on one topic that is relevant to me as an educator and as a person in my daily working life. This podcast and discussion will be on the topic of well-being in education. This is mostly relevant to educators in the English-speaking world, people interested in education and well-being in general, and the curious and savvy. You can interact with me live via the chat function, or on Twitter. Let's first start by looking at the word well-being. Our most common understanding of the term is that it means being comfortable, happy, and healthy. But if we look at the origin of the word and focus on its etymology, Well-being comes from an Italian word, benessere. And it was first used in English as long ago as the 16th century. So this is not a new social media concept, well-being and wellness. It's a very, very old, centuries-old concept. And via its etymology, we can see that the word well-being and benessere are linked to the idea of Welfare, salute, and health. Now, well-being is a very personal and subjective concept. My idea of well-being might be very different from the idea of well-being of someone who lives in India or in America. But it is usually universally relevant. Every human being on this planet is concerned by their own well-being and maybe also by other people's well-being their family members their friends their colleagues or about everybody else's well-being now well-being is a positive state experienced by individuals and societies and as i said it is culturally different the idea of well-being depends on when you were born where you live where you coexist and it is influenced by many factors. Now, it is generally understood and measured with the Human Development Index. Now, the Human Development Index corresponds to a statistic analysis of few uh, different factors, such as life expectancy at birth, which means the number of years one person is supposed to be able to live at any given time so let's say in the uk or in most of europe it would be around 80 to 82 years old for a woman and a little bit less for a man around 75 to 78 years the human development index focuses on life expectancy and birth as i just said but also it takes into account Uh, Years of schooling for adults aged 25 years or more. So it means how many years any adult has spent in education. But it also takes into account expected years of schooling for children who start school. So it looks at adults and how long they spent in education and also at children and what year they're going to they, they're going to dev, dev, um, devolve to education. It also takes into account the gross national income per capita. So this is the money or the resources, the financial resources that a human being is going to be able to earn and to enjoy in their lifetime per country. It's an average, so it doesn't take into account uh, very high inequalities. It's just focusing on the average national income per head. So again, human development index takes into account life expectancy, years spent in education, and the national income. So this is a blunt instrument to measure um, if people have access to a certain level of well-being. But remember, it depends on every country. For instance. Two countries with the same level of gross national income per capita can end up having a very, very different human development index and human development outcome. Now, if we look at um, the human development index, this has been devised by the United Nations as far back as the 80s, and it takes into account how long and healthy any individual is with the life expectancy at birth and the life expectancy index. It also takes into account the knowledge that every human being is able to gather with years of schooling but also a decent standard of living and the gross national income per capita is there to be looking at for um, financial purposes. Now, if we focus on the Office for National Statistics, the ONS, which operates in the United Kingdom, it has a different way of measuring well-being. So the Human Index, Human Development Index, was a United Nations, so a a universal uh, global index. Now I'm focusing on the way the ONS analyzes well-being. So the ONS measures subjective well-being across the UK and it publishes its figures on its website. So the the national measures takes into account surveys. People are asked to give their opinion, their feelings on aspects of their personal life. There is a scale of 0 to 10, 0 meaning not at all, and 10 meaning completely. So there are four questions asked, one is on life satisfaction, one is on the feeling of worthwhile, the third is on the concept of happiness and the fourth is about anxiety. So you can see that the Office for National Statistics is trying to measure something very subjective, it's about feelings, it's about emotions and it's about people's reflection on how they feel and how they analyze their own happiness. So it is much less based on statistics and data than the Human Development Index. Now the questions that the ONS asks in its survey are, how satisfied are you with your life nowadays? To what extent extent do you feel that the things that you do in your life are worthwhile? How happy did you feel yesterday? And again, on that scale of zero as l- low um, and 10 as high, you have how anxious did you feel yesterday? So these are very subjectives. And on any given days, if you ask me in a period of time where I have a lot of deadlines at work, my, um, the, my answer regarding the happiness yesterday and anxiety yesterday might be really high. Whereas if you ask me when I'm on holiday, The answers would be very different. So the way the ONS measures well-being is very, very changing. Now, if we look at the top 10 economies with the highest human development index, you won't be surprised to notice that most of them are European countries because they have access to the most resources, quite clement Temperatures and climates, and um, they are very developed societies. So, the top country for the Human Development Index is Norway, followed by Australia, then the Netherlands, the US, New Zealand, Canada, Ireland, Liechtenstein, Germany, Sweden, and um, we can see that we are in mostly northern European countries um, if we exclude the US and New Zealand and Australia. It was quite surprising for me to see Ireland um, as f- as high in the, in the poll, way uh, higher than the UK and France or Spain or Italy, for instance. But it's quite interesting to see that the countries that are doing very well are countries where education provision is good, where the economy is good, and maybe where economic deficits are low. Now if we look at the concept of well-being as we understand it today, and maybe not the one we use in social media, but the one we can focus on when we reflect on what is it to see a human being who seems content, there are five different elements. The five essential elements of well-being are having a career or a profession that provides you with a feeling that you occupy your time in a positive way. Then there's the social well-being finding love in your life and relationships there's the financial well-being with your economic life what you earn what you spend there's the physical well-being being being healthy and being able to access healthcare and then the last one community well-being it's about a feeling that you are engaged with the area you live in and that you also um, have good relationships with the people around you and also that you can be engaged in activities that support others and causes that you care about so these five elements are essential to talk about well-being career social financial physical and community these five elements have to be balanced if only your career well-being is giving you satisfaction and your financial well-being is at risk you are not going to have the maximum uh, well wellness you can reach same thing if you have positive relationships for your social well-being if your finances are okay if your career is taking off but you are in ill health, your well-being is going to be affected. So it's about balancing these five elements, career, social, financial, physical, community. Now, well-being is very serious for business. I mean by that, that if you are unlucky and you end up in a career that is not satisfying, you will not be able to work as much as your employers would like or you will not be able to achieve your targets and this might affect your job performance but also your uh, place of work and it might affect your colleagues as well so well-being is important for all for you but also for employer and for the people who work with you well-being affects the number of people who take sick days it affects their job performance it affects them because they might end up having a burnout and they might also leave the organization which creates more burden on the employer who needs to provide cover for the work you can't achieve or find someone else another employee to take uh, your job if you leave It is true that good health also has a very important effect on your well-being. If you are healthy, you're more likely to be able to do all the things that make you happy. If you're not healthy, you might not be able to have um, a community well-being and a social well-being, because you might have, for instance, we see a lot of people on social media who are suffering from long COVID, And it affects them professionally, but it also affects them because they have to keep isolating or they are too tired to interact with their friends and family and they feel ostracized and alienated and lonely. So physical health is also invaluable to support your well-being. Now, people who are also emotionally well are having fewer negative emotions and they can bounce back when they face difficulties. This is what we call resilience and it is very important when we think about well-being to think about how to nurture resilience in all human beings whatever age they're at. So well-being concerns us all and well-being affects us all. Now if we look at the professionals and the governmental side of well-being there's a plethora of research and booklets available online there are lots of guidance if you go on government um, website gov.uk there is guidance entitled promoting and supporting mental health and well-being in schools and colleges where you have an analysis of well-being and some advice about how to achieve well-being for all in a workplace, this is a document that is available thanks to the Department for Education, and it was published on the second of June, two thousand twenty-one. I had a look at it for your sake today. This document is mostly aimed at students, at children, but it o- and it only mentions the staff well-being in chapter five. There is a document entitled Promoting Children and Young People's Mental Health and Wellbeing, which is also uh, prepared by the Department for Education. And it has 43 pages and it's available online. In this document, it is a description of eight principles on which we should base a school approach in order to promote mental health and wellbeing for the students. But if you look at this document, you will see that it gives you pointers and advice that focuses on the issue of mental health. Mental health is crucial to support well being. But as I said earlier, well being is five different elements. It's not just mental health, which would be part of your social well being, it's also about career, finances, physical well being, and community. So when we focus on one element of well-being, we are not acknowledging the others. So the Mental Health of Children and Young People in England survey was published in 2020. And it found that 16% of children aged 5 to 16 years old have a probable mental health disorder. And this has been on the increase because in 2017, it was only um, one in nine children, and now it's one in six children, which means that in your classroom around you, if you, have, if you know and interact with young people, age five to 16, one in six of them will have a mental health disorder. And the adjective probable means that the mental health disorder might not have come to the fore enough and the child might not have been diagnosed and the child might not be be supported by any professional in health, which is quite worrying. Now, these eight principles to promote a healthy approach in a school or college are as follows. It should be the responsibility of the leadership and management because it starts from the top. And their duty is to support and champion efforts to promote emotional health and well-being. In order to do so, the leadership is supposed to enable student voice so that decisions are made in accordance with the student voice. Have a, have a time and think about your school, if you work in a school, or your children's school, if you have children. Do you think there's enough channels that gather student information and student voice? And do you think that the student voice is taken into account when decisions are made? This is a difficult question, isn't it? Now, another thing that the leadership and management should be doing is staff development. They should develop the support to increase well-being of the students and of the staff again how is it done in the schools you're aware of and to what extent is it done another thing leadership and management should be doing according to that paper is identifying need and mot- monitoring impact of interventions so what are you doing about well-being and how efficient is it again well-being is not just mental health so if we focus on mental health we might be forgetting the four other elements of well-being and also how do we measure the impact of a new intervention on well-being these are questions that don't have answers yet another thing the leadership is the principle that the leadership should follow is working with parents and carers Again, it depends on the school and we don't always have data to know what each school is doing. The other principles are targeted support and appropriate referral. So I guess this is about pastoral. Are we asking for GPs, social workers and other institutions in the community to help? And then the last two in the school is the leadership and management building an ethos and an environment that promotes well-being and is the curriculum and the teaching and learning promoting resilience and supports social and emotional learning. So again these are eight principles developed by the Department for Education but we're lacking data, we're lacking um, basic tools to make this happen. My issue with these government papers that are available on gov.uk or on the Department for Education website are that there is a contradiction in the understanding of what well-being means because the focus is only on mental health. Mental health is really important but it's only one of the five pillars of well-being. Mental health belongs to I would argue physical and social, but we forget financial, community, and career. The reality of education in 2023 in the UK is that we have a lot of exam pressure and a quite inflexible assessment system. So my key question is, are we doing enough to improve well-being? And do we really know exactly what well-being means in a school? In the paper, there was a key question. What focus is given within the curriculum to social and emotional learning and promoting personal personal resilience and how is learning assessed? But learning is assessed depending on what the Department for Education is giving us. So if teachers are giving a particular curriculum, they are not always at liberty to change it so that it supports social and emotional learning. Now, if we look at figures and statistics, imagine you're a teacher and you face a class of 30 pupils. In your 30 pupil class, you will have one student who has lost a parent, one student who is an orphan. You would have four students who only have one parent taking care of them due to a divorce or a lone parent family setting you will have five students it might be six now by now because the statistics don't take into account the influence of covid and pandemic and um, poverty at the moment so you might have five to six students in your class of 30 who has a mental health difficulty either diagnosed or undiagnosed. You could have five students who live in absolute poverty. Absolute poverty is when the family income does not sustain um, life without help from their government. You might have seven students out of thirty who are or who have experienced self-harm. And you might also have eleven students experiencing bullying. So these statistics are average numbers and they deal with life experiences of students this is provided by the center for mental health this is rather shocking it means that every time you face a class of 30 there is a lot of pain there is a lot of distress and there's a lot of suffering in front of you the department of education is giving a definition of well-being I'm gonna read that one to you. So according to Nadim Zahawi, who is the Secretary of State for Education in November 2021, we have a different one now. So the Secretary of State for Education in 2021 defined well-being as a state of complete physical and mental health that is characterized by high quality social relationships. So if we look at this definition, which is published by the Department of Education, we can see that they allude to physical well-being, which is one of the five pillars. Then they allude to mental well-being, which is akin to social well-being, as we mentioned earlier. And then they mention social and relationships. Now, that's only three well-being principles there's two more there's the career one which is success in your professional endeavors so for students it would be success at school and the last one which to me is very symbolic of the government and the department of education governing um, policies that we've had for the last 12 years we forgot the financial well-being we forgot a very important aspect of well-being and it is money so at the moment well-being as it is described by the department of education in the the united kingdom is ignoring the financial aspect of well-being well as i've said earlier if you ignore one of the five pillars of well-being you cannot achieve a school that supports well-being for staff and students. It's like being blinded somehow. So this is very worrying. Now, we all know that we need to work on our schools. Environment matters. But it is very rarely mentioned in all these definitions of well-being I gave you. I would argue that we need a sixth pillar for the definition of well-being we agree with social well-being we agree with financial well-being we do understand the impact on community well-being we do understand the impact on physical well-being and we also understand the mental health side of well-being but what about the environment well-being architecture is really important to support well-being design is very important. But when I mean environment, I also mean pollution, reducing air pollution, reducing noise pollution, and basic pollutants as well, making sure there is no asbestos in the buildings where our students and staff and workers are living. We could argue that uh, mitigations with viruses such as air filters are a part of that environment well-being that is completely ignored many times when you look at the definition of well-being. Now a lot of parents complain on social media about the fact that their children aren't ex- allowed to access toilets or the toilet is not um, there's not enough cubicles for all the students. So having enough facilities is part of ensuring well-being, the environment, well-being making sure there's enough space for dining space so that everybody can sit down to have their lunch and not rush too much too much to eat it and another humongously ex- important aspect of the environment well-being is having access to nature it has been proven scientifically, that having regular access to nature, being able to walk amongst trees and being able to smell petrichor, which is the smell of rain falling on the soil, is improving mental health. So the environment well-being is forgotten. It's not mentioned in literature that is accessible for workers and leaders in schools and teachers and staff. And it is crucial. So, this is something that I wanted to raise with you today. Now, because it is already 30 minutes of me talking, I'm just going to let you enjoy a little bit of the news and we'll get back to our well-being discussion after the news.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: With the majority of pupils returning to schools this week, the new year has brought new announcements and new challenges for many in the education sector. Government advice about illness and staying away from education settings if you're sick was shared, and the issue of strikes remains a hot topic. Pressures on school leaders continue with The Guardian reporting that many headteachers are broken, at risk of heart attacks and exhausted as a result of the erosion of services for children and families, meaning the burden of support is falling on the shoulders of schools too often. So as the new year begins on a duller note than any of us might like, here are the top stories that have caught the eye of Teachers Talk Radio News this week. In Manchester, the Morning Star reports that students at one of the city's universities Have launched a rent strike. Students at the University of Manchester are using the strike to press their demands for an end to what they describe as extortionate rents and their requests for a 30% cash rebate. Organisers say that more than 30 students per day are joining the protest, spurred by the combined effects of the cost of living crisis and poor quality accommodation provided at too high a cost. According to the National Union of Students, Half of England students are facing financial difficulty, with three quarters of these saying they expect this to have an impact on their studies. A previous rent strike in Manchester in 2021 was successful and students hope to replicate this outcome in this new wave of action. FE Week reports on Ofqual's decision to disband its committee of experts who advise on exam standards in favour of a more flexible approach on policy advice. The Standards Advisory Group has been active for more than a decade and was set up to help the exam watchdog maintain standards. Ofqual confirmed that the committee will be replaced to reflect a broader remit, such as expansions in vocational and technical qualifications and apprenticeships. Ofqual has faced criticism and upheaval over decisions and communication during the pandemic. Deputy Chief Regulator Michael Hanton described the change as positive and will secure quality and fairness for all those who take and use qualifications. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who recently announced his ambition to have all young people study maths to the age of 18, has faced a barrage of criticism about his plan. The I newspaper reports that Robin Walker, Chair of the Commons Education Select Committee, feels that the PM should be focusing more on the early years sector to boost education levels instead. He calls the maths plan highly challenging, citing the nationwide shortage of subject specialists as the biggest barrier. Mr Walker, Conservative MP for Worcester and a former education minister, highlighted issues around recruitment and retention as people with maths qualifications are quite employable elsewhere. So it is a highly competitive market when it comes to drawing people into teaching. He added that focus on the early years sector would be the most effective way of supporting children describing it as embarrassing that England's childcare system is rated so poorly when compared to other countries. The Eye also carries news of the decision by Catherine Burblesing to step down from her role as social mobility czar. Ms Burblesing, once dubbed Britain's strictest headteacher, has made the surprise announcement because she believes she comes with too much baggage, going on to say that her propensity to voice opinions that are considered controversial puts the commission in jeopardy. Ms Birbel Singh wrote of her decision in a column in Schools Week. A controversial figure for many, but with an equally vociferous fan base, Ms Birbel Singh also commented that she felt the role of social mobilities are, meant that she was becoming a politician, but that this was not a skill set she wished to develop. Finally, ITV News reports on how parts of a Turkish Airlines plane have been delivered to a school in Alverston, South Gloucestershire, to be turned into a new library. The project named Flying High by pupils will see parts of the plane turned into a new outdoor reading area. Full details can be found on the ITV website with artist impressions of the final project showing children and adults enjoying the new space. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your Tech Briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello! Did you know I've been doing this show for a year
4: now? Well, if you didn't, now you do. So shower me in gifts and love. I'm kidding. But there is one person or group of people I want you to think about as this term draws to a close. Your tech support. They may, in your mind, be the people that say no to a lot of stuff. They may stop pupils playing games and stop a lot of the web getting into your classroom. But... They keep you, your data, and your network safe. This week, as some of us are off and others are desperate to be, roll on Wednesday, spare a thought for your techie. They'll be coming in over the break to patch and update, they'll be taking those broken machines and making them work again. These people, who in most schools are like ghosts. If Charles Dickens had had the privilege of tech support, they'd have been the spirits of modern-day make-do and mend. They wouldn't be draped in chains and padlocks but come bearing an endless acceptable use policy. As you wind down, or if you have already, a thank you to your tech support will make your new year that little bit easier. Remember, next time you use tech in your lessons, everything is working. Because of them. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TTR2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was
0: Two Minute Tech. Have a lovely break. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Right, dear listeners, we're back. So in our previous in the previous part, of this podcast, we did mention a definition of well-being as being um, a combination of five pillars, social, financial, physical, community, and also mental well-being. But I I argued and I tried to establish why I thought we should add a sixth pillar of well-being for all, and it should be environment well-being. Now, we're going to look at what is actually going on in the UK as far as well-being is concerned. So I've used different websites. I've used the government website, the Department for Education website, and also the Anne Freud um, website. There's a ton of very good quality material and resources online, but I wanted to go behind the scene and think about what well-being actually meant. And as I flagged earlier, if we ignore the aspect of financial well-being, we are not going to improve well-being for all, because finances affect everybody's well-being. educationsupport.org.uk is an interesting website because it's analyzing Teacher well being, and it's also a helpline. So the number is 08000 562 561. And this helpline is there for teachers who are having a bit of a crisis, or uh, who are feeling low, or who are feeling burnt out. And it is a very important resource because teacher well being is asking teachers how they're feeling and the statistics are quite worrying according to educationsupport.org.uk 59% of the staff they surveyed have considered leaving the teaching sector in the past academic year due to pressures on their mental health and well-being 55% of staff have also actively sought to change or leave their teaching job. 68% of staff they spoke to cited a volume of workload as the main reason for thinking about leaving their jobs. 47% of the staff who got in touch with educationsupport.org.uk also said they go into work when they're sick or unwell. 78% of staff experience mental health symptoms due to their work. So this is not looking good if we're looking at well-being for teaching staff. Now if you look into more details, 75% of teaching staff say they're stressed and it's even higher for senior leaders, 84% of senior leaders say they're stressed. All 47 percent of all staff say they go to work when they're sick which is very worrying because we've had lots of viruses over the last term not just covid and it means if we go in when we're sick we spread these diseases 59 percent of staff said they were not confident in disclosing their stress or mental health to their employers for fear of retaliation so there is still a stigma against um Stress overload and mental health. And 48% of the staff said their organizations did not support employees well when they have mental health or well being problems. So these make for gloomy figures. Now, this helpline is very important. They got 9,532 calls in 2001 2022 from distressed members of staff and um, most of them said their depression or anxiety accounted for 50% of all their ill health so we can see that it's costing schools and the government a lot of money in cover work or in absences or in ill health and it's also costing costing to the staff because they are suffering now A lot of people have been trying to talk about this lack of well-being provision, and some have even called schools toxic. There is a hashtag toxic schools, toxic school tale on Twitter, which is really helpful if you want to find out what makes schools toxic. And you can also watch a video on YouTube entitled, what is a toxic school? and it's listing a series of issues that are faced by some teachers and that shows that they are in a school which is not putting their um, well-being in emphasis. So the reasons why some schools are described as being toxic are First, there's not enough time for the teachers and the staff members to sit down and eat their lunch. Then there is a lack of empathy in the way staff interact with senior leadership and also students. Three, there could be backstabbing and bullying with students and also within the staff. And then there is also a lot of worrying about work and worrying before you go back to work. There could be stressed children and adults in these toxic schools. An accountability that always befalls on the teachers, which means that if the students are absent, it's the teacher's fault. If the students are not excelling at their subject, it's the teacher's fault, etc. A constant checking, as if the staff were not trusted to do the right thing and were not believed. And also, raising standards and pressure all the time and a fear of speaking out from the staff against these elements. So this is a definition of a toxic school. Now there's a lot of warning signs when well-being is being um, eroded in a school environment, and it could be because there is no clear sense of purpose. School administrators and teachers don't have the same goal; they all have a different agenda, and they do not work as a team. This leads to conflict. There could also be hostile relationships between staff, students and parents, and hostility is not conducive to social and community well-being. There could be an emphasis on rules over the well-being of people and mission. This issue can be created at many levels. Teachers might focus on the correct color for socks rather than preventing um, a classroom frights or other more important issues. There could be an absence of honest dialogue and a fear of saying the truth, a fear of saying that you have issues dealing with the behavior of one class for fear of retaliation, of being disrespected as a teacher. And it could be also more self-preservation than collaboration. So, people would spend more time gathering data in order to protect them from potential litigation rather than actually teaching. In these so called toxic schools, there might also be back channels over formal lines of communication, which means that things are said in unofficial meetings and then not everybody is made aware of them. It might be a lot of rumor and gossip. There might also be punishment instead of recognition and rewards not given to the people who need it or who deserve it, but as a means of control. There might be a lack of safety with teachers who are afraid of walking in the corridors in their own schools or afraid of speaking up. And there might also be a small group who controls the conversation and ignores a silent colleague. And there can be an absence of risk-taking with a fear of antagonizing parents or some teachers or some members of the management team. All these feelings lead to school which is not pleasant to work out for the staff, for the senior leaders, and also for the students. And it might also have an impact, obviously, on the parents. So this is what we need to think about when we think about well-being. Well-being is not just dealing with mental health issues, well-being is making sure everybody has access to their sixth pillar of well-being and that they can promote their own well-being peacefully. So there are eight characteristics of a toxic school according to the teacher toolkit and you can check it online at teacher toolkit. there's a lot of turnover if teachers are not staying they come they stay one year and then they're out it shows that the school is toxic if a school's grades are going down or if there's less and less students and the school is undersubscribed it might be a sign that the school is toxic if it's a school culture where only exam grades matter and children are hothoused it is a sign of toxicity If there's constant restructuring and changes, it might show that they do not work in the long term. An emphasis on bureaucracy and meaningless tasks is also a sign of toxicity in a school. A teaching culture with balkanization, where departments are not communicating with each other and people stay away from each other in a staff room is a sign of toxicity. Teaching culture where individualism is promoted and there is no sense of community is a sign, a characteristic of a toxic school. And a groupthink mentality where nobody else is able to voice a different view is a sign of toxicity, according to the teacher toolkit, which is available online if you want to have a look further. Now, what can we do? If we think or believe that our school is having a certain element of toxicity and we want to work on improving well being for us, staff, students, parents, and everybody who's interacting with the school? Well, this would take more than one podcast to answer, but I want to give you a few pointers and ideas so that if you're interested in improving well-being, you can have a look and do some of your own research. I wanted to mention the Forest School Association, the FSA, because this is a new phenomenon, but it is gathering um, promotion and it's becoming more and more famous. It started in Scandinavian countries with forest school in Sweden and Norway, and now it's spreading. Now in 2021, there are 200 UK schools that are surveyed as forest school. They are registered and they're part of the forest school association. So what is a forest school? Well, a forest school is a return to nature with an open air culture a free air life and it began in Scandinavia, It arrived in the UK in 1993 and has been growing in popularity. It is also because a lot of parents have concerns regarding the pandemic and they think that forest schools are a great answer to the lack of mitigations in normal schools. There's no air filters in many schools, there's no face mask wearing. there is not enough protection of people who are vulnerable. So forest schools offer an alternative. Now, if we look at well-being initiatives, I want to make a clear contrast between well-being initiatives that are more about posturing and making a gesture token well-being initiatives rather than fundamental well-being initiatives because we see that a lot particularly on social media well-being is a deep issue it's about five different or six different pillars social health physical financial community and environment it is not by just having one initiative that we're going to sort out well-being in schools so beware of token well-being initiatives, such as having a circle where people talk to each other, or a gratitude jar where people can post some ideas, or I've seen it a well-being room with a few potted plants, a cushion, a, 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 an armchair with a cushion, and some light um, mu- music and um, diffuser of essential oil. This is not enough. This is just a bit of varnish on a broken piece of wood. Offering well-being lessons or well-being days are not positive initiatives. They are just token initiatives. So we need to look at what would be fundamental well-being initiatives. And they exist and they've been statistically researched to make, a difference i'll give you an example in some schools in france they decided to offer healthy organic cooked on the on the at school food they offer this organic breakfast and organic lunch and everybody is coming for breakfast staff and students and everybody is eating lunch and it's the same lunch for all and everybody has to sit down and eat together. There is no packed lunches. There is no students skipping meals. Everybody is sitting down for a home cooked, not home, but school cooked meal. And this has a drastic impact on well-being, on the physical well-being and on the social and community well-being. And it also has an impact on the financial well-being because it's cost effective and it also allows children who live in poverty to have access to proper food. A simple fundamental well-being initiative is also a no email after working hours policy. Now if we want to go even deeper democratic principles in the decision making is an example of a fundamental well-being initiative which is to say that no decision will be applied without consulting students and staff. It's going against a very top to bottom hierarchical structure which is too rigid and it's including everybody's voice in decision-making. Increasing teacher retention is also a fundamental aspect of well-being. If you have teachers who've been teaching in your school for 20 years, it's because they're happy there. And it's a good sign and it creates a stronger support for the social and community aspect of well-being. Because these teachers know all the students and sometimes the students are parents and their children are coming to the school. This is really important. A fundamental well-being initiative is to promote arts, music and physical activity for all students but also for staff. Another fundamental well-being initiative is a holistic approach where we take into account all aspects of living and working together. For instance, it could be having a cycling to work scheme or a cheaper gym membership scheme for all staff. It would also be a holistic approach where all members of staff, not just teaching staff but also the pastoral, and also the cleaning staff would be able to work together in harmony and spend more quality time together. A fundamental well-being initiative would be community building activities, asking more members of the community to come into the school and interact via reading groups, book clubs, um, language learning, for instance, having on Saturday morning an Arabic school, in the school building or a Greek school or a Turkish school coming into the building and organizing art shows and um, school plays that involve more people from the community. Another fundamental well-being initiative would be to increase parental involvement in the school and more transparency in dealings with anything regarding the school structuring. It is really important to see what's a token initiative and what's a fundamental initiative. And to be able to put in place fundamental wellbeing initiatives for staff and students, one can't forget the issue of poverty. And this is what I want to focus on today because poverty in the UK is an absolute disgrace we had 3.9 million children in poverty in the UK in 2020 and 2021, which is 27% of children, or eight in a classroom of 30. And after the COVID pandemic, we might even see more children in poverty, particularly with high energy costs. So we're nearly at 4 million children in poverty in a developed nation we said earlier that well-being had six pillars financial well-being is a crucial pillar because financial well-being has an impact on on the other well-being if you are not able to warm your home or to eat nutritious food It's going to have an impact on your physical health and on your mental health. It's going to have an impact on your social health because you might not be able to interact with people because you can't afford it. And you might not be able to have an impact on your local community because you can't afford it. Housing and childcare remain the most expensive items in the budgets of working families with small children in the United Kingdom since 2008 childcare costs have risen 42%, which is twice the rate of inflation. So if we want to improve well-being for staff and for students, we need to make sure we have a childcare strategy, a national one, which includes high-quality, fully state-funded model of 30 hours free entitlement to childcare available to all families. Universal childcare places for all two years old, two-year-old children, increased support for children's centres that provide the community and the social well-being pillars. And also an 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. out of school and holiday wraparound childcare so that any worker is confident that their children are safe while they're at work. This will help teachers, this will help senior leaders, this will help the cleaning team, and this will help students. Because, believe it or not, I have students who can't attend extra lessons that we do to support them in their exam, for instance, or extra speaking practice, because they have caring duties. They have to pick up their siblings from school. This is not contributing To their well-being. So I'm going to go as far as saying there is no well-being when there is poverty. So in the UK we have 4 million children whose well-being is diminished because we have poverty in our society. Poverty is the root cause of a lot of mental health. It is a causal factor of mental health because when you're poor, you're stressed and anxious. You worry about your finances and this has an impact on your physical health as well as your mental health. Poverty can also be a consequence of poor mental health. If you're using drugs or alcohol to medicate your mental health, it might lead you to lose your job, for instance. Mental health disorders are also more prevalent in low- and middle-income countries because 13% of the world's burden of disease comes from mental disorders such as depression, anxiety and schizophrenia. But in our society, in our very wealthy United Kingdom, we also have more mental health disorders in the sections of society that are low and middle-income. Growing up in poverty at home impacts cognitive development. If your nutritious needs aren't met, your brain will not be able to be perfectible enough. So your learning ability will be reduced and this has an effect on your career well-being. Stressful life events have a close association with poor mental health and worsening poverty. So this is a vicious circle. The poorer you are, the more impacted your physical and mental health are gonna be. And then the poorer you are, the more mental health issues you will have. And then the poorer you are, the less you can um, improve your social, career, and community well-being. So this is like a whirlpool that catches people and tracks them down. And remember, this is about 4 million children in the UK. We have started, in 2008, when I I moved to the UK, there was less than a few thousand food banks. Now, I've been here since 2008, we are in 2023. There is 2.2 uh, millions emergency food supply parcel given by the Trussell Trust alone. This is a three-day parcel for people who are in a state of emergency. London is the region with the highest distribution of Trussell Trust food parcels in 2022, followed by the Southeast and Northwest England. So we have millions of food supply parcels given every year. And that's just one type of food banks. There's 1,400 Trussell Trust food banks in the UK. But then there's also another 1,172 independent food banks. So the number of food banks has been rising as fast as inflation. And there is definitely a correlation there. An NEU survey, the NEU is the National Education Union, there's many more unions, but it's one of the biggest unions in the UK. The NEU published a survey in which it said that 55% of members, NEU members, have seen an increase in child poverty at their school. And also 95% of the NEU members teach students who have limited or no access to learning resources at home. Four in five members of the NEU, which is 81%, see families who ask for extra support for providing learning resources, such as pens, papers, and books. 65% of NEU members who answered the survey said that it had an impact on the wellbeing of their students but also on their own well being to see so many children in poverty. There is a report that was debated at the Parliament. It happened in November, on November the twenty-second, twenty twenty-two. It is called Child Hunger in Schools. And we're not talking about a remote war-torn country here. We're talking about child hunger in the UK. Baroness Lister of Set was asking the government what steps they were taking in response to research that has shown that there is increased child hunger in schools. This research was published on the 18th of October and it said that there was... Eighty-three percent of primary school teachers who said that children were coming to school hungry. Our children's well-being, the social, physical, and mental well-being of children, is affected by their financial well-being on a daily basis in the UK. You're gonna find that maybe question questionable, but there is a survey sponsored by Kellogg's, the American. Um, cereal brand that we are all familiar with and Kellogg's published a survey that said that one in five uk schools have food banks to help feed struggling families so these food banks are linked to the schools and these food banks are sometimes working in cooperation with Kellogg's and they fund school breakfast club for the most disadvantaged communities now it is not showing us in a good light when an american cereal brand is doing a survey that shows that a fifth of our school need food bank and donations for the school breakfast club i think it is and i would argue that it is posturing to talk about well-being as a lesson or as a well-being day when we ignore financial well-being of students and shall i say staff because we know we have support staff teaching assistants who are having financial difficulties so this is a big issue the issue of well-being and it is not something we can just solve by offering tricks or tips on how to exercise more exercising is really important but eating food and having a warm house is also Important. So I hope you found this analysis of the concept of well being impactful and interesting, and that hope that it gave you some ideas on how to approach it in your daily life and also in your workplace. This is a serious issue. This is about a universal need. We all deserve to increase our well-being. We all deserve to reach a content and happy state. I'm going to let you listen to the news and I will check social media to see if anyone has interacted and wants to come in and talk with us about the issue of well-being.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: With the majority of pupils returning to schools this week, the new year has brought new announcements and new challenges for many in the education sector. Government advice about illness and staying away from education settings if you're sick was shared, and the issue of strikes remains a hot topic. Pressures on school leaders continue, with The Guardian reporting that many headteachers are broken, at risk of heart attacks and exhausted as a result of the erosion of services for children and families, meaning the burden of support is falling on the shoulders of schools too often. So as the new year begins on a duller note than any of us might like, here are the top stories that have caught the eye of Teachers Talk Radio News this week. In Manchester, the Morning Star reports that students at one of the city's universities Have launched a rent strike. Students at the University of Manchester are using the strike to press their demands for an end to what they describe as extortionate rents and their requests for a 30% cash rebate. Organisers say that more than 30 students per day are joining the protest, spurred by the combined effects of the cost of living crisis and poor quality accommodation provided at too high a cost. According to the National Union of Students, Half of England's students are facing financial difficulty, with three quarters of these saying they expect this to have an impact on their studies. A previous rent strike in Manchester in 2021 was successful and students hope to replicate this outcome in this new wave of action. FE Week reports on Ofqual's decision to disband its committee of experts who advise on exam standards in favour of a more flexible approach on policy advice. The Standards Advisory Group has been active for more than a decade and was set up to help the exam watchdog maintain standards. Ofqual confirmed that the committee will be replaced to reflect a broader remit, such as expansions in vocational and technical qualifications and apprenticeships. Ofqual has faced criticism at and upheaval over decisions and communication during the pandemic. Deputy Chief Regulator Michael Hanton described the change as positive and will secure quality and fairness for all those who take and use qualifications. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who recently announced his ambition to have all young people study maths to the age of 18, has faced a barrage of criticism about his plan. The I newspaper reports that Robin Walker, chair of the Commons Education Select Committee, feels that the PM should be focusing more on the early years sector to boost education levels instead. He calls the maths plan highly challenging, citing the nationwide shortage of subject specialists as the biggest barrier. Mr Walker, Conservative MP for Worcester and a former education minister, highlighted issues around recruitment and retention as people with maths qualifications are quite employable elsewhere. So it is a highly competitive market when it comes to drawing people into teaching. He added that focus on the early years sector would be the most effective way of supporting children describing it as embarrassing that England's childcare system is rated so poorly when compared to other countries. The Eye also carries news of the decision by Catherine Burblesing to step down from her role as social mobility czar. Ms Burblesing, once dubbed Britain's strictest head teacher, has made the surprise announcement because she believes she comes with too much baggage, going on to say that her propensity to voice opinions that are considered controversial puts the commission in jeopardy. Ms Birbel Singh wrote of her decision in a column in Schools Week. A controversial figure for many but with an equally vociferous fan base, Ms Birbel Singh also commented that she felt the role of social mobilities are meant that she was becoming a politician, but that this was not a skill set she wished to develop. Finally, ITV News reports on how parts of a Turkish Airlines plane have been delivered to a school in Alverston, South Gloucestershire, to be turned into a new library. The project, named Flying High by Pupils, will see parts of the plane turned into a new outdoor reading area. Full details can be found on the ITV website with artist impressions of the final project showing children and adults enjoying the new space. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your Tech Briefing on Teacher's Talk Radio. Hello! Did you know I've been doing this show for a year
4: now? Well, if you didn't, now you do. So shower me in gifts and love. I'm kidding. But there is one person or group of people I want you to think about as this term draws to a close. Your tech support. They may, in your mind, be the people that say no to a lot of stuff. They may stop pupils playing games and stop a lot of the web getting into your classroom. But They keep you, your data, and your network safe. This week, as some of us are off and others are desperate to be, roll on Wednesday. Spare a thought for your techie. They'll be coming in over the break to patch and update. They'll be taking those broken machines and making them work again. These people who in most schools are like ghosts. If Charles Dickens had had the privilege of tech support, they'd have been the spirits of modern-day make-do and mend. They wouldn't be draped in chains and padlocks but come bearing an endless acceptable use policy. As you wind down, or if you have already, a thank you to your tech support will make your new year that little bit easier. Remember, next time you use tech in your lessons, everything is working because of them. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods. And that was
0: Two Minute Tech. Have a lovely break. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Dear listeners, thank you for spending um, your time in my company. We talked about well-being. And it's five pillars. I added a sixth because I thought it was really important. There was the career, the financial, the physical, the community, and the social pillars. And I thought it'd be great if we could add the environment pillar. Obviously, this podcast was not about giving you tips to improve your well being because I wanted to go behind that and go deeper and see what well-being actually meant and I raised the flag of the issue of ignoring financial well-being when we deal with our students and with our staff and when we try to create a more um, supportive school environment. The issue of well-being would take many podcasts if we wanted to talk about what would be the most supportive school and what it would look like. Um, if you want more information regarding my ideal of uh, well-being um, a school that promotes well-being, you can refer to a few podcasts I did last year, one about architecture, one about neurodivergence, and one about poverty, because it highlighted some easy things we could put in place to ensure that most pillars of the issue of well-being are taken into account. Now, obviously, this is January and everybody's got New Year resolution they want to use. I could only advise you to try and take care about yourself because well-being starts with taking care of your own. So make sure you listen to podcasts you enjoy when you have to do chores. Make sure you take the time to um, have a bath if you want to, and make sure you do self-care because you all deserve it. So I wish you a great New Year, and I hope to. Be in your company again next Sunday. Thank you.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.